starting a new series this morning, and it's entitled Making Christmas Relevant. Hmm. Because it's different than it has been. And, and we've heard hundreds and hundreds of Christmas messages through the years. How do we make each one relevant, though? Well, this morning I want to talk to you about Joseph believed the best in people. He believed the best in people. If there's ever a day and age in which we are living in today, it's this day in which we need to believe in each other. Even people that, well, maybe we haven't believed in before, but they need to know that we see the best in them. So I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you that the Holy Spirit would just speak into your life, speak into where you are, and make this message relevant to you. So Holy Spirit, you've been sent as a comforter, as an advocate to come alongside of us. So what I ask of you this morning is that you would remove anything that is separating us from hearing this word. Let us focus on what the relevance of this message means to us as individuals and as a corporate body of Christ. I pray that you would speak to us here in the sanctuary and there in our homes online. And let there come that revelation knowledge of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Now, how many of you have uh, would, would, would like to have someone speak into you and say, I believe in you. Anybody would like that? You know, you, know. you know what? That's so vitally important because, you see, what that brings into our lives is, one, is encouragement. Two, it really does bring strength. Three, it, it brings that sense of security. And, and four, it knows that we are loved, that we are accepted. Well, today's story, Christmas, Christmas story of Joseph, really speaks in how Joseph believed in the best of Mary. And and what we're going to do is that we're going to look at two different chapters in Matthew. One of them is Matthew 13. So you may want to open your Bibles or your iPhones or your whatever you have technology and go to Matthew, the, the 13th chapter. And, and that's where Jesus is in ministry at this time, and he's going home to Nazareth. And, and it really sets up a scene here for us to understand the life of Joseph. And then we're going to go to Matthew, the first chapter. And, and this is where, well, Joseph has this encounter with, with the angel and how the Christmas story unfolds. So let's go to Matthew, the 13th chapter, verse 53. And it's reading out of the... Uh, uh, the ESV version, and it goes this way. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, now listen to this, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty words? Now, wouldn't you have loved to have been able to sit at the feet of Jesus in that pew, maybe, and hear the wisdom 
and the power of the words of which Jesus himself was sharing with these people. But then they said, is this, is, um, is not this the carpenter's son? Oh, boy. Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are, are not all of his sisters with us? You know, I, I find it intriguing that, that they mention names of the of the male brothers, but not of the sisters. It, that's the culture of that of that time, because women were not looked on as equals. Where then did this man get all these things? It's kind of thinking, how could this be? How could he have such wisdom and powerful, mighty words? It's amazing how they literally took offense of this. We go on in reading, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. They were questioning the background, the validity, the value of this man's life. Wasn't he this carpenter's son? As though that meant that he was not anyone of any importance. Well, I want us to move to chapter 1 in, in, in Matthew. And, and here's where the Christmas story begins to unfold. First of all, I'm going to ask, have you ever borrowed anything from anybody? Anybody? Raise your hands. Have you ever borrowed it? Now, how many of you haven't given it back yet? No, you don't have to raise your hands on that. Um, well, did you know that Jesus borrowed a whole lot of stuff? And, and examples of that in his, his life was, well, he had to borrow a nursery, a manger scene, a stable, actually, he borrowed. Then, then he was out in ministry, and, and you know, if you have people at your house and, and you have a gathering, and maybe you're studying the Bible together, and, and you go over to lunch, or you, you think that maybe you would have something for them to eat. Well, Jesus had, well, a small gathering of 5,000 people plus uh, women and children, and, and they were kind of hungry, and he didn't want to send them away, so he borrowed a little boy's lunch, and we know that story. And then Jesus, near the latter part of his earthly life, he's going into Jerusalem, and he borrows a vehicle, well, a really new vehicle. It's a donkey that has never been ridden on. And then Jesus, he, he, in his death, he borrowed a grave. Could you imagine going to a seminary? I said that again, seminary. did that this morning. A, a cemetery... Maybe some seminaries, never mind, is, is that this, this cemetery, and, he's, he, and you would go there and say, Could I, I want to prepare for my death, but, but, but I only want to borrow this grave site. How many, how many directors of that, that, that place would go along with that? They wouldn't, but, but he borrowed a tomb. Then there's one other thing that he needed to borrow. He needed to borrow an earthly father. So God the Father says, huh, I think I found the right guy. 
and his name is Joseph. Now, let, let, me, let me unfold some things here. In Matthew, the first chapter, verse 18 says, Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Well, when we're looking at this, sometimes maybe some of you younger ones, or even older ones, you know, this betrothal stuff, what actually is that? Well, there's three stages to it. And, and the first stage is in this stage of a Jewish marriage, uh, marriage is, well, the engagement. And, and that engagement is where a mother uh, and father of a, of a son and mother and father of a daughter, they come together and they think, you know what, I think our kids would work together well here. Now, I, I'm thinking, wow, now my kids have been married for quite some time, and I really love my daughter-in-law and my son-in-law. Jokingly, I say, is that sometimes I like them better than the kids. On that bit, but they really chose some great, great uh, mates. But in the beginning of that time, I was thinking, man, I would have liked to have gone back to that time of Christ and help choose the right person for them. They probably wouldn't have liked it, but it would have been fun to do. The second level or stage of that betrothal is 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 that it's it's very serious. And this is where, well, the Christmas story has taken place. And and it takes one year period of time. And, and basically, in the Jewish community, at this point, they are actually married. In fact, they were married legally with the exception that they were not able to live together or sleep together as a husband and wife. And and the truth be said is that uh, how, how legal was it actually? Well, if Joseph would have died, during that one year period of time, Mary would have been called. The name that they gave to those women was a virgin widow. Hmm. So in the eyes of the community, of the Jewish community, they were married. The only way you could break that is a, a right of divorcement. So the whole scene is already set up. The third phase, well, is the marriage itself that they would have. Um, what I love about this this whole story of Joseph uh, is is how Joseph looked at the best in people's lives. He believed in the best of Mary. He, here's what I really appreciate about Joseph. Number one, his relationship with God, because it was a priority in everything that he would do. Verse 19 says, And her husband Joseph, being a just and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He was a just man. And you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound so just that, that he would do something like this. I want you to understand that. And that righteousness of Joseph basically caused him to do Two things in this story. One, it caused him to treat Mary with respect. 
uh, I want you to understand in, in, in that time is that he had the right to be able to put her away publicly and in shame. In fact, he had the right that, that she was pregnant without, well, as an unwed, that third stage woman, to have her stoned to death. But he chose not to do that. But, but, but understand as well is I'm, I'm sure that Joseph was thinking, what, what do I do now? What's, what's the best thing I could do in this situation? Now, he was thinking that before the angel, without God's direction directly to him, and, well, without any kind of message being given to him. So he was doing what was best for Mary. The, the second thing I love is that he did not break God's law. His, his coming forth that he did not live with her during this period of time. He, he had a standard. A purity in his walk and his relationship with, with God was a priority. And I find it interesting that, that sometimes, though, in those situations that kind of blow up in our families and our lives, is sometimes they're played out in the people that are closest to us with our families. And it's, it's like I, I think um, of Abraham. Remember when God spoke to him and he, he told him to, well, hey, uh, sacrifice your son, Isaac. And, and I think many times is that how we respond to God and things that sounds like, well, it's crazy, is played out right before the eyes of our family. Because, listen, church, we have to live it in the home, not only outside the home. We, we, we need, the people in that home need to know that, that, well, that's how that person acts in the home and outside the home as well. Uh, Kim Wilfong, my, my niece, who, who, who was a big part of our life when, when she was growing up, she would spend summers with us. And, and she made a statement. She says, Uncle is the same person in the house as he is outside the house. And, and I so cherish those words because we need to live that way. What I appreciate about Joseph is his ability, his attitude towards Mary. You see, women were not equal. Now, I'm sorry, ladies, but in that time, in that culture, they were not treated as equal. It was a man's world. And yet, his attitude towards Mary was absolutely beautiful. And in verses 19 and 20, not wanting to disgrace her, he desired to put her away quietly. But verse 20 says, but when he had considered this, in other words, at that time he was thinking, what should I do that is right? Now, listen to this, is, is that Joseph was hurt. The woman he was betrothed to, engaged to, revealed to Joseph, by the way, I'm pregnant. He was disappointed. He was confused. 
And yet Joseph wanted to do the best that was for Mary. So how was he able to do this? Uh, John Maxwell is one of my favorite authors. And in one of his books, Think on These Things, in a chapter that was entitled, Your Reaction Really Shows Your Christianity. He, he says this is not, it's not our reaction because we could react to all types of stuff really great when life is great. But when it's not, when things around us are falling apart, is where is our reaction and how do we live those things out? Joseph's reaction was as a righteous man. And I'm sure that some things that, that he could have passed through his mind, how could it not? He could be saying, how could she do this to me? What are people going to think? And now, and, and what now, what am I going to do? And, and so often we think how this is affecting us. But Joseph didn't do that. He thought, how is this going to affect Mary? He wanted to treat and see the best in her. Because he didn't understand at that time what was really playing out. He didn't have that encounter with the angel. He didn't have that word of God that was given to him. And so he was just acting out of what he, the information that was given to him. How else would he think? But yet he says, what is going to be best for her? So his reaction is, how is this going to affect Mary? So he wanted to treat her with all the respect and love that he could muster up. Now, in treating her with that respect, I just want to, well, go chase this butterfly out here a little bit. Not that I ever do that, all right? And that is, is that, oh, hold on here. I'm going to get back to this. But, but I want to talk to you men. Ladies, you could listen in on this. But I'm going to talk to you men. Because it's such a responsibility that we have to be able to treat those women in our life with respect. I had a dear friend of mine years ago when I was pastoring in Indiana. He he was married, you know, quite a few years, as many years as Arlena and I have. And in, in, in his, his wife was blonde. So he would would say these blonde jokes, you know, to her. Now I'm I'm Hungarian, and I'm I'm part Polish as well, and Jewish. I found out. Now, do you think that I never heard a Polish joke? I, I had one, one guy came to me one time and he told me this joke that was he thought was very funny. And, and I looked at him and said, did you say that joke because you thought it was funny or did you say that joke because you wanted to put me down? He didn't know how to respond to that. So so this friend of mine, he would say these these jokes about her being blonde. And and I asked him one time, I says, do you know how she feels about it? He goes, oh, he knows I'm just joking. But do you know how she actually feels about that? Well, well, no, I guess not. He goes, it hurts. Because you're talking 
about your wife publicly and putting her down as not being pretty bright. And she was. So it says, could I do something? Is that every time you do that publicly, could I correct you publicly? <laughs> and he goes, uh, okay. Thinking he's never going to do that again publicly. And he did. And I did. And, and he, uh, it was pretty uncomfortable for him for one or two, maybe three times. After that, it never happened again. Because he realized that he had to show that respect to that woman that is in his life. It is so vitally, vitally important. So, men, treat the women in your life with respect. In fact, you, you are to spoil them. You, you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Do you know what that means? That, that means is that you need to be willing even not only to honor her, but to give your life for her. The Bible never says that the wife is to give her life to her husband. It says that she is to honor him, but not die for him. We are told to die for that woman. If I'm going to die for someone, I'm going to be sure I love that person to treat them with all the respect and honor that they deserve. I'm going to spoil them. They're going to become the queen of my home. So, baby, as you're watching this online, you're my main squeeze. I want you to know that. But listen, church, amen. Men, we need to show that kind of love. And, and Joseph respected her. Um, let's get back to this marriage, because you want to talk about a marriage that is working. I could see something that is just absolutely amazing. Can you imagine, from that very firm foundation of this message, how Joseph was willing to believe in Mary? Can you imagine how she appreciated that kind of commitment to love her? And you'll see in that commitment what he did in, in, in moving to all these different places and how he loved and accepted Jesus as his own. Let me tell you something else, guys. If, if you really want your 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 wife to really get turned on to you, really love you. Sit down and play a game with the children that she bore. Let, let that wife see that you're playing, having a tea party with that little daughter of yours or playing checkers with your son or gigging and laughing with them. I'm telling you, when that woman who carried that child for nine months and I told someone before the service is, is that if I ever had to carry a child, to bore a child, we would be childless. I'm telling you that right now. Yeah. Is that that was no easy task, honor and respect that woman. And, and, and you blended families. Listen to this, is that Joseph treated Jesus as one of his own. Hmm. What I appreciate about Joseph is his sensitivity to God is greatly to be admired. You see, he was sensitive to listen and hear God. Uh, in, in, in the verse 20, listen to this. Is Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him 
in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to marry as your uh, Mary as your wife. For that which she has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Listen, Joseph has already made up his mind what he was going to do. He was to respect her. He was going to put her away privately. He wasn't going to have her stoned or disgraced or dishonored. He was showing that respect, even though his mind had to be confused. How could this be? Now this angel shows up and then begins, well, to change his whole narrative, what he was going to do. You see, it is difficult for us to listen when we are not sensitive to God. When you are not sensitive to God, you've already made your plans. You have this mindset. This is what I'm going to do. Joseph had his mind already made up. This is what I'm going to do. But he was sensitive to God and everything began to change. You see, it's difficult for us to listen and be sensitive to God when you are emotionally involved with the problem. (laughs) The problem was Mary. He was emotionally involved. She was pregnant. But he finds out now that this is not of any man. This is of the Holy Spirit. But he had to have that mindset to listen to what is being said to be open for the change. I, I love doing premarital counseling. I love it when, when a couple comes in and, and I have five, six sessions with them. I sit down and talk about all different kinds of arenas in, in their married life that is going to be. And, and I love it when, when I seen a couple come in and, and they, would, they, they were just all over each other. They, I mean, they were just Google-eyeing each other and, and that. And, and so I, I see this, but I know them. So, so, so I begin to ask them some, some questions. And, and the questions that I ask her is, is, well, do you do you have any money? Well, no. Uh, do do you have a car? No. Do you have a job? Well, no. Do you have a place to live? No. Do you think this marriage is going to work? Yes. What's a pastor to do? No. Their mind is already set. They're not open for any kind of change where they're walking into a trap because the reality of life is the pressures that's going to hit them, and so many marriages can't handle that. And in, in this situation, Joseph is emotionally involved, yet he was sensitive to listen. See, it's difficult to listen to be sensitive to God when risk is involved. And the risk that was involved in Joseph's life was his reputation. What are people going to think? It was going to change the narrative of everything in his life from that moment forward. It's difficult for us to listen to be sensitive to God when other people won't understand. (laughs) I mean, it's hard enough for Joseph to wrap his mind around this whole thing. 
And, and then have this angel show up and saying there was no man involved. This was She was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And now tell that story to your friends. See how supportive that they are going to be with us. There's no way that they're going to be supportive of anything that is going to do. The fourth thing that I love, admire about Joseph is, I admire Joseph's obedience to God. Because you never hear, you never hear Joseph being quoted anywhere in the, in the Gospels. Only thing you see is what he does. So the very first thing that he does is Joseph took Mary as his wife, is in verse 22 of chapter 1, speaks to us about. And he took her as his wife, the scripture says. The second thing is that they fled to Egypt because there was this death sentence put out on baby Jesus. And he was told to leave where he was. He was established. All right, we got this whole baby thing settled in his mind. He's believing in what God said to him through this angel. And he believes the best in Mary. And so when he's told to go to Egypt, he leaves. There is In the scripture, there is no narrative about, well, why should I do that? Where could I go? How am I going to live? He just gets up in the middle of the night, and he leaves. He's obedient. The third thing is now he's in Egypt, Egypt and he's being told, go back to Israel. So what the scripture tells us in verse 21, it says, he arose. He no more narr- no narrative, no questions. All right, now you asked me to leave the country. I left the country. Now you asked me to go back to Israel. He didn't, no debate. He was obedient to God, and he went back. Then, the fourth thing, that he went to Nazareth in Matthew 2, verses 22 and 23. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee. You see, church, being obedient, it sounds about well, I love that, but it's not easy. There's risk involved in being obedient. For one thing, it's inconvenient because he was asked to leave, and he left in the middle of the night. That cost him something. It's not like he could go out and rent a truck and have this plan and have some friends come and load everything. He had to leave everything and leave. Then it was that obedience separates you from family and friends. You're on your own, pal. I could remember when Arlene and I responded to the call of God in our lives in ministry. Now, we come from a family, an Italian family and a Hungarian family, and, and when they gathered together, they could get kind of loud. I mean, it's, you, you would think that they were all, you know, angry at each other because everyone's talking, no one's listening, you don't think, but they are. Uh, so we were in Indiana. Our family is in Pennsylvania. We call home at Christmas time in that we are always with family, and they hold, hold up the phone, and they said, hey, this is Tom and Arlene. And the whole crowd, everyone's in the house yelling, hey, we love you, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And then we hung up, 
And it was pure silence. Which is us. No family. No one around us. Just us four. We knew, and I knew then, is that we needed to make some new traditions for our family. Because the ministry was asking us to leave those who were very dear to us to go to another community. And even though it wasn't a foreign land, it was another state, and we were alone. So it's not easy being separated, and Joseph was obedient to do whatever it took. What what I appreciate about Joseph is his desire to glorify God. Wow, to glorify God. Listen to this. Joseph kept her a virgin until she gave birth to the son, and he called his name Jesus. Did you ever wonder that he now married her? But he will not have a relationship with her. The reason is, is that he wanted to be able to give God all the glory. He did not want to change the narrative in this story, none whatsoever. He didn't want people to think that this just might be his son. He wanted to bring glory to God. Now, here's what I want you to see. We don't hear much about Joseph after that. We don't hear about Joseph being there at the uh, at his at his uh, crucifixion. We don't know where Joseph may have been. And have you ever wondered where Joseph was for the rest of his life? If we want to know anything about Joseph, it's Matthew one, Matthew thirteen. Outside of that, there's not a whole lot, and he's never quoted. But what we do see is that we've seen how he conducted his life. And here's something amazing to me. He he was raising, he was the earthly father of the son of God. Is there anything that this child did not know? At the age of 12, that child sat in a synagogue among these theologians, and they marveled at him. And he was raising this child. What kind of influence could he have on a child like that? But I want you to know that God the Father knew that he needed to borrow an earthly man that would look at the best in the life of Mary and the best in the life of Jesus and conduct himself accordingly. Because, you see, there are five characteristics that we see here in Joseph's life. And those five characteristics, pay attention to this. This is so powerful that those five characteristics are played out or lived out in the very life of Jesus in his ministry. You see, first of all, there was that importance of the right relationship with God the Father. Jesus had that right relationship with God the Father. But also, where did he see that being lived out? He saw that being lived out in the life of Joseph. Secondly, he had a very Jesus had a very healthy attitude towards women. You remember the Samaritan woman? 
the woman who at the well who is going to be stoned? He had this healthy relationship. How did he have something like that? Well, he was a son of God. Yes, but he saw it played out, lived out in the life of Joseph. He had a sensitivity to listen to God. How often do you hear of Jesus separating himself to be alone with God? He's seen that being lived out in the life of Joseph. Fourthly, he was obedient, had an obedient God. Remember in the garden, Lord, did this cup pass over? But not my will, but your will be done. Well, he was God the Father. Yeah, I mean, God the Son. Yes, he was. But he saw it being lived out in the life of Joseph. Joseph, who saw the best in Mary, saw the best in people. Fifthly, he had a desire to glorify God. No matter what the consequence, no matter what the risk may be. He was going to be obedient unto him. That was lived out in the life of Jesus. I have to believe that this borrowed father had a tremendous influence upon the life of Jesus Christ. Never underestimate how your life when it's being lived can be lived out and influence people. You walk that life of that right relationship with God, a healthy attitude towards people, a sensitivity to listen to God, having an obedient heart and have a desire to glorify God. You see, people will see the difference in you. On Friday, I came in here to just help just a little bit. Most of it was already done with Pastor James and getting all these decorations out from underneath the baptistry. I mean, we have it packed back there. And and then it's, oh, yeah, I need to write my article for the emails that I sent to you on Fridays. And and I and I wrote an article on, on the gift that continues to keep giving about writing a letter. I totally forgot about that in my message that I said that. Till this morning when I was rereading and, and just going over and praying over this message. And I saw that in my notes. I go, wow, God. I wish I could take credit, but I can't. You see, I want you to be encouraged to live a life that Joseph lived, to believe in people. And to believe the best in them. None of us are perfect. None of us have a nail print in the palms of our hands. There is only one Jesus. And when I say to believe the best in each other, now, Joseph did have an advantage. He had believed in the best of Mary, who was a godly woman, because she was willing. Let it 
be so, he told that angel. She will take on this responsibility of being the mother of Jesus Christ. But I'm talking as well is that we need to see the best in each other and even in those who we may not like. I'm going to get a little bit personal here, so don't be offended. I don't care. Be offended. You Democrats need to see the best in Trump. And you, I mean, yeah, and, and you Republicans need to see the best in Biden. Because when we see the best in each other, we can impact the world around us. Now, I'm never going to have a chance to talk or write a letter of the year if we would see it, Trump or Biden. But I do know this, that there's people in my sphere of influence that I could speak into to see the best in them. So this Christmas season, you want to make it relevant. Make it relevant by writing a letter. Send an email to someone or write a letter is better because they could have it in your handwriting. Don't type it. Don't get on a computer to print it. Handwrite it. They see your miserable handwriting. Because they're going to read it again and again when you speak to them about how you love them. How you believe in them. Because when you do that, it impacts people's lives. It could be a short letter or a long letter. It could be to one person or multiple people. My kids, I would tell them, they said, Dad, what do you want? I says, I want a letter from you. Just tell me you love me. Exaggerate a little bit how good I was and great as a father. There's things that I'm sure I did right. Not everything. But speak into each other. Because you see, in a world that we live in, no one's speaking into each other. No one's telling each other that we believe in them. No one's showing that love or concern that we have, that we need to have for each other. Not only would you change that person's life, that you could change their life of that family, and you could change that community, and you could change that city, and you could change that state, and you could t- change that country, and you could change that world when we allow the influence of the Holy Spirit who comes as an advocate, comes alongside of us as, as that Spirit of God inspired the writers of the Word of God. That same Spirit could inspire us as writers to speak in the people who are around us and tell them, I believe in you. Because we need to hear that today. And if there's a gift that we need from each other. It is that in this season. Would you stand with me, please? I have this memorial card of Randy Mills in my hand. It's going to be in my Bible because I want to remember this for a while. Because even in that last season of his life I was speaking to him about how proud I was of him and making that commitment to Jesus Christ I was speaking into him how excited I am 
to what he is able to do now because every word that he speaks now, his family will never forget. Even though he only had, well, they said maybe five to six months. It really was a week or two. You see, when, when we believe in people, there's things that they could do that you never dreamt was possible because, you see, we all could do all things through Christ Jesus. All things. Let's do that together. Let's believe in each other. The best that there is.